So I'm going to continue. If you want to, you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Um, so I was kind of struggling some because uh, I've actually um, spoken on this passage already uh, just not too long ago, not too many months ago. And I, I struggle with whether or not I should do it again, but um, I really feel like it's a good time to, to do it again. Um, anybody in here forget information? Anybody leak information? Anybody struggle with that? Um, anybody's spouse struggle with that? You want to raise your hand and just volunteer them? There you go. Okay, gotcha. Um, I've, I leak information. I can uh, hear something one day and it be gone within minutes, right? Uh, I can, it can be gone in seconds. Um, and so I have, to, I have to write things down. I have to keep down all this stuff. So I, I forget things very a lot. So I think this will be a good time to go over this again. Um, but I, I do want to say this. This past week I got to go with uh, Stephen Case and with Morgan Adams to uh, the Together for the Gospel Conference. This uh, past it was Tuesday through Thursday in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it's the last one they're ever going to do, and so we got to be a part of it. I got to. I'm a little bit of a fanboy of a guy named Alistair Begg. I don't know if anybody in here knows who that is. He's on Moody Radio, and he is incredible. One of my favorite um, pastors, preachers of all time. And I, he was there. Uh, I got to listen to him and some other people and just be encouraged and edified. And it was just an incredible time to be there. So thank you, church, for allowing me to, to take time away to go do that and to, to be there. And it was wonderful. Um, but now on to Acts 6. We're going to start in verse 1, but I want to start here. Has anybody ever been a part of something where you outgrew your operation? where uh, it got too big for what you were ready to do. Um, I'll give an example. Uh, anybody in here have more than two children? Anybody done that? You outgrew your operation. Okay, that, that's what that means. That means you go from man-to-man coverage to zone defense. Anybody know what that means, right? Zone defense. Ashley, you got uh, Ren and Sully. I got Crockett and Jude. Go, right? kind of watching the zones there, seeing who's, who's where, making sure we're keeping up with the stuff. You start hearing, so the, the, two, uh, the two problems with the zone defense is that you're kind of playing a little bit of, of, of listening game, right, with children. So what are the two dangerous things to hear? Something and nothing, right? <laughs> Those are both dangerous because sometimes you're listening for something, something breaking, somebody screaming, somebody getting mad, the definite sound of somebody hitting somebody with something else. You know that sound? Whap, and you're like, I know it. I'm, I'm, I'm walking there now. Or silence. That's when you know something else is probably very nefarious, right? Silence is when somebody's up to something they really, really, really shouldn't be up to. So uh, that's when you get in there. We, we, uh, we have been there where we outgrew our, uh, our operation. Oh, this is, this is one of the funny things. Uh, sorry, I have to read my notes here. With four kids, one of the things that we do, uh, we have literally both done this to each other. We will offer to pay our spouse. So I'll offer to pay Ashley. I'll pay you any amount of money you want just to let me sleep in. Anybody ever done that? I've offered a million dollars. I don't know how I'd get it, but I have offered one million dollars if I could just sleep in just a little bit longer, right? Okay, maybe nobody else has, but there's an idea for you if you need it. Um, one of the other things, anybody, uh, anybody's family have arguments over what you're going to eat for dinner? Come on, just, just be honest in here. Sometimes it, it, it only takes two people to do that, right? I mean, we, will, we have this on a constant, regular basis where four, three people will want one thing and they're all in, but two people are like, absolutely not. I'll never eat that. And then you offer something else and then it's a different two. And then you offer something else, it's a different two. And so it's this constant thing and you, you can struggle with outgrowing your operation. So the church in Acts has just outgrown their operation in chapter six. There are more needs than the apostles could focus on while still faithfully teaching the word. So a new office is created in the church, one that uh, one that's still vital to the health of churches today. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 6, uh, I'm going to read straight through just to, to kind of walk through this. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
Now, in these days, when the, the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because, of their, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And when they chose uh, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a, plos, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, let's walk through this. So in these days, all right, these are good days for the church, right? We've been walking through Acts for a long time now. God has already added thousands to the church on a regular basis, right? Thousands and thousands at a time. They were multiplying a number. They weren't just adding a few at a time. They were multiplying. What could possibly go wrong with this kind of beautiful picture of these days? Anything Satan could possibly come up with, right? Anybody ever have that problem where Satan comes in and starts to try to mess with things going on? Anybody struggle with uh, spiritual warfare? Okay, maybe just me. That's fine. Um, so th now in these days, everything's going well. Everything's going good. They're getting people coming in. It looks like great success. Lots of people showing up and doing this stuff. But then a complaint comes up. Who loves complaining? I, does anybody in here complain? Who complains? Just be honest. Come on, let's, we need some exercise here. We need to wake people up. Who complains? I complain on a regular basis. I can struggle with this sin. I complain. Uh, I, I could ask uh, my kids or my wife, and they could tell you lots of places where I complain. Uh, one of the places is in driving. Anybody hate traffic? Oh, man. Anybody complain about traffic? I will talk nonstop from the moment we hit traffic to the moment we get out of it of how much I hate traffic. And Ashley would be like, you really don't like this? And I'm like, no, I hate it. <laughs> hate traffic. Hate it. This word complaint means a whispering, grumbling talk in private. So in these days, everything's good. What could go wrong? Suddenly people start complaining. Obviously, though, we've had 2,000 years since this has been written, right? So the church has grown. We've spiritually matured and complaining is no longer a problem in the church, right? Because leaders lead perfectly and the church follows perfectly, Right? It's just perfect and happy and everybody loves every decision made. And there's no such thing as complaining anymore. We have conquered that sin. What does complaining accomplish? Very little. Certainly nothing productive. In my complaining in traffic, what have I done to the traffic? Nothing. <laughs> I have only, I've only succeeded in making the car ride miserable for everybody else in the car for me. That's the only good thing I've done. Now, not only am I miserable, but so is everybody else. So I'm happy <laughs> because you hate it just as much as I do now because you hate me talking about it. Complaining does not accomplish anything. So in these great days of good things happening, people start complaining. So this is talking in private, going around saying, can you believe this is going on over here? Can you believe what that person's doing? Is this type of complaining biblical? No, it's not. Let's read what Jesus wrote in uh, Matthew, or what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. 
If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if, re- if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, I want us to understand something. This is not a suggestion. You are commanded to go straight to the person who has sinned against you to talk to them about the problem you have. Every stop along the way is sin in your life. I want us to let that soak in for a minute. So this is an issue of complaining. This is part of what caused the division in this church at this time. The problem was people weren't going to the person they were struggling with. And so Jesus tells us we're commanded, if you have a problem, if your brother sins against you. So again, now, who's the responsible person to start the conversation? The one who's hurt. So if someone hurts me, I'm responsible to go straight to that person and say to that person, this hurt me. You did this. This is a struggle for me. Every stop along the way I make to tell someone else about the problem I have with that person is sin in my life. And it will cause division in the church. Second thing, my purpose in that conversation must be restoration, not retribution. Anybody struggle with that? Woo, big hand up there. Thank you, Tony. Me too. I, when I'm hurt, love going to make somebody else feel bad. Anybody else like to do that? I want to see the, the proper amount of pain in your heart. <laughs> I need to see it in your face. I need to see it in your actions. I need to see you hurting the way I need you to hurt. I struggle there. But this says my goal should be to gain my brother. The purpose is restoration. So this complaint arise among the Hellenists. Okay, these are Greek-speaking Jews. So most of these people would have been people who had been dispersed during uh, um, some of the time that, they, that Israel was not their own nation when they had been uh, conquered. So they had to go and live somewhere else. They learned to, to speak Greek. They learned to, to live a different lifestyle. They, they, just, they, they, weren't, uh, they, they just had a different life. They, they, a lot of them didn't have choices in this. They had to go. Um, so they spoke Greek and understood very little of the Semitic languages. Um, and here's what's funny. The Semitic language that was spoken by most uh, Jewish people at this time, especially the, the ones that had stayed and remained were faithful, was Aramaic, not Hebrew. Most of them did not speak Hebrew regularly. They were speaking Aramaic. So that's kind of funny to me because of, we'll, we'll see in a minute. They probably dressed more like Greek culture. Uh, they would have been, uh, you know, they probably came back illegally. So they're probably not even legal residents of Rome. They had come back in. Usually this is retirement, right? Your family's died. You don't have anybody to take care of you. So they're coming back as these widows coming back to have somebody take care of them. So they go back to Jerusalem because that's the best place, or to Israel, that's the best place they have a chance for somebody to care for them to make, to help them meet their needs because they have no other options. So these Greek speaking Jews are coming in and they're trying to just make a living and they believe in Christ. They're a part of the church. This is a beautiful thing. You would think this would be something we would celebrate. But then, uh, they weren't getting the same amount of food as the Hebrews, okay? Hebrews, that's the word that means Hebrew-speaking Jew. Again, this is very, very funny because they actually spoke Aramaic. They were mostly uh, the Jewish people who weren't carted off during dispersion. They stayed home. They created their own sets of priorities and preferences based on their life experiences. Some things would be extremely important to them. 
that would mean nothing to those who returned after such a long exile. So these people, these Hellenists, they came back, they're speaking mainly Greek. They understand a little bit of Aramaic, but they don't really speak it well. They come back, they're doing life together with this church, and they're sitting there and they're trying to like uh, be together. But the ones who stayed and remained, and even though they didn't speak Hebrew much anymore, they spoke Aramaic, they still looked down on the Greek-speaking ones saying, you don't even speak the right language. You don't dress right, you don't talk right, you don't laugh at the right jokes, you laugh at the wrong jokes. Everything about you is less than me. So there's this complaint. And then, so the, 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 the Greek-speaking Jews are sitting here talking amongst each other and they're complaining against the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews. The Hebrew-speaking Jews are sitting here over here complaining about the Greek-speaking Jews. There's this division uh, being created because of gossip. So what was happening is uh, they were missing out on the daily distribution. These widows relied entirely on the generosity of the church. They had no wealth of their own. Uh, they, they would have had, especially these Hellenists, who would have had to spend a fortune to get back to Israel. They had no methods for making money. So the church gave them their daily food based on everyone giving what they could. This is beautiful. You remember, we've already talked about the generosity in the early church. They're selling fields, selling houses, selling stuff to give, to do anything they could to be a part of giving towards the mission of God. Part of what this money was being used for was to feed people who had no way of getting food. And I love that so much. But these Hellenists were being neglected in this daily food. Neglected means to fall, to, cons- uh, to fail to consider something sufficiently, and as a result, to fail to respond appropriately. So there's one group that didn't even care if the other group had food. I want you to let that sink in. These purists, the religious right, the very good Christian church going people looked at the Hellenists and thought they were less than them. And they, here's how little they cared for them. I don't care if you have food to eat. That's how little they thought of these people. Therefore, they responded in sin by giving them nothing. I wonder if any of us still carry this attitude around. The way I think we could identify that is this question first. Are you aware of the real needs of others in our church? Or do you show up week by week oblivious to the pain and the hurt and the catastrophes and the needs of others that are part of your family? What are you willing to do about it? We have people, uh, Lamar Moore, if you're here during the time that he was our interim pastor, said this, and this is still true, um, and I, I loved that man. There's a hurting heart on every pew. How many weeks are you oblivious to that hurting heart? How many weeks do you walk in and think only of me? Do I get out of this service what I want? Instead of, hey, this is first of all about Christ pointing to him. And second of all, how can I serve my family? So this is happening. The 12 summons the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they pull everybody together and they say, hey, we got to meet together. We got to talk about this. They say, it's not right. This isn't an issue of preference. This is an issue of right and wrong. 
their calling, the apostles' calling, was preaching. Without it, our faith would not be one uh, would not be in this area of the world because they had to continue spreading the gospel. Nothing, not even important things, could get in the way of this message. It is how God has chosen to spread His message to the entire world is by the preaching of the gospel. I'm going to read Romans 10, 13 through 17. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they, whom, in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This mandate still stands. Pastor teachers can have no greater priority than preaching the word of Christ. Not even good things can stop a pastor from focusing on preaching the word. So it says, we cannot give up the, the, the word for serving tables. That means, that's the, the Greek word, diakonein. That means to serve, to take care of, to wait upon, to serve tables. This is where the word deacon comes from. Diakonos is the one who serves tables, a server. The one who sets the example of Christ as servant to the church. So I want to make sure we understand something. This is not to demean anything. Do you know what a deacon does in the church? They are, example, they are the example to the church of the servant Christ. They're to show the whole church, here's what it means to serve others. We're supposed to be able to look to every deacon and say, that looks like Jesus. And they lead the church in serving others. The 12 are not demeaning them. They're saying, you get to be the example of Christ in service. So they tell the church, therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good, good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the church is called to pick out. That means to choose or select on the basis of having investigated carefully. The whole church, all thousands of them, were to investigate and select seven men for this job. Who thinks this would have been easy and without debate? No conflict. Anybody think this was easy? I don't either. Anybody think both sides, the, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, tried to stack the deck? I would have. So let's see how they guard against this. So you pick out uh, seven men of good repute. That means to speak well of a person on the basis of personal experience. You weren't allowed to just pick someone that you liked and wanted. It wasn't just a popularity contest, right? The basis was on how, what kind of character did they have? We uh, recently took, uh, let uh, the whole church uh, put names in a box to, to recommend people for deacons for our churches. We're coming up on this. Um, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and share this with everybody. This is going to be fun. Um, there were dozens, dozens of one name that got put in there. I'm going to tell you who it was. You guys want to know who dozens and dozens of people put in there? Sullivan Stonecook, my eight-year-old son. And they all got thrown away. I love him. And someday, maybe, but not today. It says pick men, <laughs> not children, of good repute, full of the Spirit. This means that these couldn't just be men who are vocationally successful, fun to be around. They had to display the Spirit in their lives. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits that you look for when you're looking for a leader servant. Full of wisdom. This means the capacity to understand and as a result, act wisely. Why is wisdom important in this office? I would say go ask a deacon. The one with wisdom will be, will be requested regularly. The one without wisdom will be avoided regularly. Because great wisdom is required to serve in this ministry of mercy and unification. So these, these uh, servants were having to navigate a very sticky situation. One group thought they were better than the other. And therefore some were being mistreated. These men had to come in and bring unity and food, first of all, right? Uh, who, who knows that food unifies people? Is a great unifier. Anybody uh, willing to be unified in food? Yeah. You feed me, I'm your friend. Absolutely. So they started with food to unify. But while they're doing this, they're teaching unity in the Holy Spirit. Anybody thinks that everybody liked the way that they uh, fulfilled their duties? Anybody think that everybody's like, oh, good for you. You did it right. Or who thinks there are still people angry? If I know people, I think they're still angry people. Have you ever had a customer, client, or board member that didn't like anything you did, no matter how much you tried? Do you not think that Satan has implanted that in the church every single chance he can? A spirit of just discontentment. No matter what's done, I'm still not happy. Still not what I want. Still don't like it. And I think that's something we need to repent of, church. So the, the apostles were to appoint these men, to assign them to a something or a position. While well, it was the church who nominated these men uh, in, uh, in wisdom and work, it was the 12 who appointed them to their jobs. Then they appointed them to this duty. Their duty, I want to make sure we understand this, was to serve in the ministry of mercy and unification in the church. The ministry of mercy and unification. They also met the physical needs of the congregation. They were to be the picture of Christ as the one who came to serve. That everyone in the church could look and say, that's what it looks like to serve like Christ did. This is a great calling. Then they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. To devote means to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible, possible implication of despite difficulty. Difficulty. You cannot devote yourselves to, too many, to, to many things at once, or you will fail at all of them. So the, the apostles are saying, we can't devote ourselves to doing everything in the church. So we must devote ourselves to prayer and the word. So the 12 knew that they were, not, they were not the ones with the power to protect, mature, grow, and nourish the church. Only God was. So they had to devote themselves to prayer. The Holy Spirit inspires uh, this passage very intentionally, okay? Ministry of the word means diakonia, which means service. These apostles are saying, we're here to deacon the word of God. While deacons were to devote themselves to the table uh, to be table servers of the church, the twelves were to devote themselves to be the cooks of the word. When your cook is also your server, anybody been to a small restaurant like that? Your cook is your server. What happens when that restaurant gets too big and your cook is also your server? You're asking for poor service and salmonella, right? 
This is why this has to be divided out. And what they said pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. One thing that's interesting to note here, each one of these names is Greek. So guess what they probably picked? Every single one of them Hellenists. Who thinks the Hebrews were happy with that? I don't. This church simply put forward the names of these men, and possibly many more, to the apostles. The apostles interviewed them, approved them, and gave them their duties. This is a great responsibility and requires an incredible amount of trust in God. The apostles prayed and laid, laid their hands on these men to commission them to their role. I am very excited. Coming up soon, here in the next uh, month or so, we're going to have an ordination service here at Clinging Ridge. We're going to do it on a Sunday evening coming up soon. I, I can't wait for this because we get to ordain some elders and some deacons all in one night. And it is going to be a day, an, an evening to just celebrate God's calling on these men's lives. And I cannot wait to be a part of it. But this is our example. They laid hands on and prayed for them in front of everybody saying, we're commissioning these guys to go out and do what God's called them to do. It says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we're seeing a pattern in Acts. If you want to see a local church grow, you have to follow God's design for the church, not man's. If you want to have your way over everything else, don't expect God to do much. God will save the most unlikely people in the most miraculous way when his church is being what he has called her to be. If we want to see God save people in this community that would blow our minds, then we read the word and say, let's be this. So here's one of the ways I want to wrap this up. What is coming in here as we do this? And first of all, I want to say this. Um, uh, so we have Dennis Brown is in here right now. He's sitting right over here. Glenn Swan is right back here. So we have two deacons in here right now, but we're, we're adding uh, uh, several more. I'm, I'm very excited for this. I want us to know who can you go to or what can you go to a deacon for? First of all, when you have a physical need that you can't meet on your own, that is what God has called them to do, to serve in this. Second of all, when you're struggling to find unity with the church, whether this is because someone has done something wrong or because you just don't even know where to start. You're saying, I just don't feel like I'm a part. I don't feel like I'm in. I don't feel like I can find a way or that person's not letting me in. Guess who you should go to? The one who God's called to be a part of the ministry of unification. Go to a deacon and say, I need to find a way to fit. I need to find my place. I need to find a way to find unification here. Next question, how can you help our deacons enjoy their roles uh, that's a fun question because if you would ask a deacon who's, who's done this for a while, um, I, I'll just do this. Glenn, has there ever been times that it's not been fun to be a deacon? Yes. <laughs> so how can we help our deacons enjoy the role that God's called them to? First of all, pursue unity yourself. You don't wait on them to make it happen. Pursue unity inside, inside of this body yourself. Second of all, follow their example and serve alongside them. You don't have to have a title to continue serving alongside of those who are to be our example of service. Third, pour yourself out to the helpless, the hopeless, and the alone as God's called them to lead the way in doing. Do the same work alongside them and make them enjoy their role. All right, I want you guys to close your eyes and bow your head with me if you don't mind.
as I have one more question to ask. One of the things I think we can all struggle over inside of this uh, passage is this. Are you the cause of any disunity at Clinging Ridge Baptist Church? Are you the cause by your complaints, by gossip, by refusing to follow God's word? Are you the cause of any disunity at Clinging Ridge Baptist Church? Do you need to seek restoration with a brother or sister because of the way that you've handled being hurt or hurting them? Do you need to repent of complaining or gossiping? Because if we're going to pursue unity together, we must pursue Christ in confession and repentance first. God, I pray that you just guide us to be a church that follows you and your design. Lord, thank you so much for calling so many incredible men to this office of, of being deacons, being the ones who set the example for our church of you. Christ is the one who came to serve. Lord, I pray you bless them and guide them, give them wisdom and fill them with your spirit that they can serve in ways that just help us to be pointed constantly to you. That they would see disunity and they'd come in and bring unification. They would see helpless, hopeless, poor people and give mercy They would see physical needs and meet them. And God, let us love them for what you've called them to do. Lord, forgive us where each of us have sinned in this area of complaining or prioritizing our preferences over your mission. God, I pray you call us to unify around your word and be the church you've called us to be. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.